0: If we get to X million dollars in sales, we'll just pay that two, three, four million dollar fine. And that's just a business decision. We're already going to be have gotten over that in revenue. And I know I could tell you so many stories, which I'm I'm a little hesitant to do because I don't want to rip other companies. But this is actually like a business strategy in the industry, which is go back to the predatory kind of like company profits and revenue matter way more than consumer health, which is nuts, right? Because like you can build a nice business by serving your customers really well with products of excellence.
1: If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. RunnerClick presents the Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 25 of RunnerClicks, the passionate runner podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of themotherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today, we are going to hear the deep and dark secrets of the supplement industry from David Block. He is founder of Prevenex, a supplement company, and he shares information that can help you be a smarter consumer. Including why you should not buy supplements from Amazon over the summer. Hmm, really good stuff. Some more about David. He is the founder and CEO of Prevenex which is a company that makes premium, clinically effective nutritional supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health. And he donates vitamins to malnourished children with every customer purchase through its Get Health, Give Health program. Prior to Previnex, David was a research analyst in the health and wellness industry, where he was named one of the top research analysts and stock pickers in the country by the Wall Street Journal and Forbes. He's appeared in numerous financial publications for his expertise in the health and wellness industry including the Wall Street Journal, Investors Business Daily, Business Week, Forbes, and Barron's. David attended UCLA, where he was a scholarship athlete and received a law degree from Pepperdine University School of Law, where he was a fellow and founding student board member of the Palmer Center for Entrepreneurship and the Law. David also serves as a board member and trustee of Guidepost Incorporated. So we're going to get to our interview with David, which I think you'll find very eye opening. Right after this short message from our sponsor, RunnerClick.
0: If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. RunnerClick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines.
1: All right, David, I am here with David Block. We have been chit-chatting for a very long time, and I finally decided that it's time to start recording this conversation. So I'm so glad you're here on the show, and we're going to take a deep, Deepest dive into the supplement industry. My hope is that we can empower people to make smart choices and not just be kind of fooled by the fancy marketing. So, anyways, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it's so good to be
0: here, and it was fun chatting before. Me. <laughs> I, I'm glad you hit record. That was a good 15 minutes of just catching up.
1: Just catching up. Okay, so you are not a runner, but you have a very strong athletic background, and I would call it endurance sports. Treading water for hours at a time is requires endurance for sure. So you were a water polo, right, player?
0: Yep. Played water polo back in the day.
1: So how did that happen?
0: Yeah. So was always involved in sports my whole life. Every sport you can imagine, my parents exposed me to, which was really fun. And kind of football was the path I thought I was on. And then I got to high school and my mom would not sign the waiver for me to play football. And this is like pre-concussion, pre-CTE coming into the picture. We didn't have that data yet. and she was like, you're going to thank me when you're older. And I'm sorry, you're so upset. But this is just a good move for your longevity. And but I wanted to play something because sports was such a big part of my life. And so I looked at the fall sports, and this is in California, where it was football, cross country and water polo. And so I kind of was like, Oh, water pole. I've seen that in the Olympics. That's really cool. I have no background in it, but I love team sports. And I just thought, let's do it. And so I remember my first practice, I could barely swim. I didn't know how to tread water, but I just got this vision for like, this is a really cool sport that I think I have a few, you know, I'd like a good arm from playing football and scoring was came easy right out of the gates. And I just had a vision for like, I want to get a scholarship to college. I want to play internationally At the time, I was like, I want to play in the Olympics. This is super cool. But I was like the slowest guy. I had no background in it, and I just kind of mapped out some goals and then accelerated pretty quickly. And I think the low hanging fruit was actually swimming, just getting my swimming speed up. And so there was, man, swimming like twenty thousand yards a day was crazy. And I definitely don't miss it. But ended up, yeah, ended up. But late in high school, playing for like the junior version of the Olympic group, like the junior team, and got to travel, play internationally, ended up getting a scholarship to UCLA. First two years, the team at UCLA won the national championship.
1: Wow. And
0: which for the for water polo in the US is kind of like pretty much the peak in a way. I mean, you can go to the Olympics, but the Olympic team had big problems when I was kind of coming up through the ranks and figured out water polo wasn't going to pay the bills and as much as I loved playing, it just there wasn't really a of opportunity in the U S and so just pivoted. But, but that was water polo, a ton of fun, got to meet a ton of great people, traveled internationally played. I mean, I was just representing the U S was a blast. And so that's water polo in a nutshell.
1: That's, I mean, I have so much respect for water polo. Cause I mean, even just treading, just treading water is hard.
0: So <laughs> most people, when I tell them I play water polo, the ones that don't think I'm riding a horse in a pool with like a <laughs> polo stick, which actually happens. I'm like, oh my gosh, but it's a pretty, you know, it's not a huge sport. But treading water, like once you do it and are conditioned to do it, it's just kind of like walking, which may sound strange if you've never treaded water or tried for a while, but it's no different than people thinking, like, can I really run a marathon? Like that's impossible. But if you condition your body, you can. I mean, you just can. And so once the body's conditioned, I mean, I, I don't know if I could do it now, but I, in back in the day, I could have treaded water for 24 hours and it would have just been as long as I had some food and without really breaking much of a sweat. So it's just a conditioning thing.
1: That sounds hellacious, though. <laughs> just the idea. <laughs> I mean, maybe some people think running 26.2 miles sounds hellacious, but treading water for hours on end just sounds really mentally taxing. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So, what do you do now? Do you swim now?
0: You know what? So I have two kids. One will be six. My daughter will be six in November. And then we have a little guy turning one next month. And when my daughter, like right when she came is when I kind of hung it up from a like water polo. I was living in New York City at the time. I was still playing on master's teams, oh, cool. traveling. Yeah, it was so fun planning against college kids and you know using like old man strength versus conditioning, which was fun. But yeah, that was kind of it. And then now I'm just doing... You know, like circuit training, kind of trying to get like lifting weight bearing with some cardio like circuit muscle training, and then I'm running. So I have a treadmill in the basement, and I am either doing sprint sets or running for kind of longer periods of time. and and running to me was like you're talking about treading water as like hellacious. I always thought, because I was just a swimmer, I was like, oh running, oh, unless it's for basketball or football, like but just running to run, I always thought was crazy, but I love it. I feel like my mind can just, I mean, for all the reasons you and your community love it, I've come to really love running. So it's been fun.
1: Well, see, you're part of the community.
0: I love it. And I love the running community. We've met so many runners that are so, I mean, it's a great community.
1: It is a great community. I love that. So that makes me think that maybe when your kids are a little bit older, you might foray into the triathlon world. Maybe. Maybe.
0: Maybe. (laughs) Always looking for things, mountains to climb and things to do, but it's hard to imagine, as you know, with two kids that are, I guess, right now under five, it's like, am I ever, is there ever going to be time? But maybe someday.
1: No, I know. And that's time consuming. I mean, that's one of the great things about running is you you just put on your shoes and go. Okay. So now you graduate from UCLA. What was your like first step into the supplement industry?
0: Yeah. So my first job, so from UCLA, I actually went to law school. And that's a whole other story. We don't have to unpack that. But coming out of law school, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. And my first job, I got a job as a research analyst. And I was covering the nutritional supplement industry. So that was my, well, I was actually supporting another research analyst. But then when I got promoted to cover my own industry, nutritional supplements was the industry. And so my job for many years was to basically become a huge nerd and knowledge base in all things nutritional supplements so my job was to read clinical studies all day tour supplement manufacturing facilities meet with you know company executives meet with investors understand the physiology of different nutrients and like understand the origin of nutrients and what regions had the best you know grapeseed extract and vitamin a and i just became an expert in all things nutritional supplements and i was just bothered by a lot of what i saw which got me kind of crazy enough to start a company in the space which I'm happy to kind of talk about what what those things were but
1: Oh yes but I definitely was... want to hear what that is
0: All right so as I'm a research analyst and I should actually preface this by saying I had a really kind of negative bias against nutritional supplements when I before I was an analyst so I never took supplements as an athlete I thought you kind of it was all like witch's brew and you're probably going to do more harm than good to yourself. And so that was my perspective coming into the industry as like an analyst, as my paid job being an analyst. And so the two things that really stood out to me were number one, there was all this proper clinical data that supported like taking nutritional, certain nutritional supplements, like having, taking advanced levels of certain vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and certainly probiotics and omegas and and this was a little bit shocking to me because I was like I'm reading this and when I say proper like peer reviewed clinical data that has been published that's like legit clinical data and I'm just thinking to myself like oh my gosh like why did I never learn any of this because this could have really helped my athletic career for sure but then I was like on the other hand I'm like I'm really thankful I am learning this cuz there's you know done right this can potentially enhance my longevity my performance and everyday health from here on out. So that was kind of number one. Number two, and probably what really pushed me over the edge was just when you dive deep into the industry, unfortunately, you realize pretty quickly that it's like a very predatory industry, where unless a consumer has a background in nutritional science, they honestly have a 0% chance of understanding what ingredients can benefit them, what products can benefit them, because it's super nuanced. Like people don't realize there's many different forms of vitamin E and vitamin C and vitamin B. And there's the least, you know, lowest quality form that's like the highest margin to the company and it's the least expensive, but it barely does anything. And there's the really expensive form that actually can influence and promote health. And so all this nuance, like you know, I didn't certainly know any of this until I was an an analyst, but but essentially like unregul I mean it's a regulated industry technically, but not really. It's kind of I would view it as unregulated. You and I could go to a beach, get some sand, put it in capsules, promote it in some joint venture, and we could be in business, which is crazy. And so just lack of oversight, lack of regulation just lead, led to an industry that was preying on consumers. And that really frustrated me because I'm like, man, this you could create health if you do this well. And like, you just have all these companies that are focused on, this is a good business. It's high margins. We can make things for really little money, and we can sell them for for a lot and it's just it's just bonkers it drove me crazy
1: okay because it's like it's scary and upsetting to hear that i mean so i i have a lot of follow-up questions but okay so let's take the leap then so it drove you crazy and you decided to start your own company that actually does do people's bodies good so can you kind of lay out what you focused on
0: Yeah. So I I think, so we started the company in 2013, so almost 10 years ago. And I think at the time, the first thing was like, all right, I know so much about ingredient sourcing and formulation. And this was also part of my expertise. And it just was like, are there any products on the market that I would want to take in light of all that I know, right? Like if we're in the matrix, if you've seen that movie and I could like download you with everything I know, It'd be like, okay, you're like, there's really, there are a few things you can kind of piece and plug together, but it's just not at a level that is acceptable. Like, at least for me, just of like, hey, I want the best products to help me be like the 80 year old who's going to be setting world records and swimming or running or whatever, and just, you know, just living the longest, healthiest, most active life. And so it started with that. Like, are there products? Because there's no sense recreating the wheel and just doing like a Me Too product or company. So it started with like the thought of, okay, the lack of regulation is really frustrating. And me as a consumer, like I want regulation because I want to know that what I'm putting in my body is going to be safe. It's going to be effective. And so we started really the journey with like, all right, can we find a manufacturing partner that could actually do like regulated production of nutritional supplements, which wasn't really a requirement at the time. And so it probably took us about nine months, but we found a facility that actually kind of follows the pharmaceutical or they produce pharmaceuticals, right? So the pharmaceuticals are a highly regulated industry. Without comment to pharmaceuticals, there's certainly a place for them. But one thing we can all agree on, or I mean, at least on the regulation side, it's like a highly regulated, the manufacturing side is highly regulated. So we just said, listen, it's gonna be more expensive, but like as a baseline, let's follow the same practices that the pharmaceutical industry follows. So what does that mean? It means testing every raw material or ingredient that comes in the door for contaminants, metal, microbials, et cetera. It's doing production run testing. So there's this US pharmacopoeia testing we do on disintegration, stability, thickness, hardness, making sure the products are you know gonna be breaking down in your body, et cetera. And then we do finished product testing, which is not we, this is like the pharmaceutical norm is to make sure that what's on the labels in the bottle, what's not on the label won't be. And the reason there is like for a pharmaceutical, if you take too little of something, it may not help you. If you take too much of something, it could hurt you. And so we're just like, listen, this, is, this sounds like the right kind of protocol for how supplements should be made. So that was step one. And then step two was just looking at really like, how can we do this better than what's out there? And I think the vision was never let's be everything to everyone. The vision was more, let's go into categories where we know we can make the best joint supplement or immune supplement or whatever it is and have the clinical data to back it up. And so that was kind of like, I'd say the secret sauce really for us is sourcing of ingredients. We are sourcing the highest quality, most clinically effective ingredients not sparing any expense to do that because the ingredients are what actually deliver benefits to you, the right ingredients. And then on top of that, we're looking for clinically studied ingredients. So there are companies who have spent tens of millions of dollars taking ingredients through human clinical studies. And we're looking at some of those because we kind of don't care if we didn't discover the ingredient or run it through trials. Like We want to make the best products that are going to help people live the longest, healthiest, most active lives possible. So how we manufacture is different. Sourcing, certainly. I mean, oh, good golly, that's the wild, wild west still. And using clinically studied ingredients so we can make some pretty big claims on the products.
1: So why is the industry not regulated?
0: Okay. So technically it is regulated. So the FDA regulates the manufacturing of nutritional supplements. But, But the reason it's so loose is because it's technically regulated like the food industry. So no different than how what goes into baking a loaf of bread. You could make an argument maybe there's a little slightly more regulation but really it's a self-policing standard. So the industry it's like okay listen you're supposed to make sure this is safe enough for consumption and you're supposed to follow very loose protocols but we're not really going to check and we're not really going to make sure that's happening. So the only time a nutritional supplement company will get called out is if there's some sort of adverse reaction that a consumer is having and at that point the ftc or the fda will step in and say hey we're having issues with this product present your safety data but by then it's kind of too late and here's like the sad thing Whitney is like there are companies and like companies you would know i'm not going to call them out by name but bigger companies who their whole business strategy is like let's get market share as fast as we can we'll make up a story, we'll use illegal claims, we'll do all of this knowing that at some point the FTC is going to knock on our door and we're going to get a lawsuit for false advertising and we actually don't have clinical studies but if we get to x million dollars in sales we'll just pay that 2-3 4 million dollar fine and that's just a business decision we're already going to be have gotten over that in revenue and I know I could tell you so many stories, which I'm, I'm a little hesitant to do because I don't want to rip other companies. But this is actually like a business strategy in the industry, which is go back to the predatory kind of like company profits and revenue matter way more than consumer health, which is nuts, right? Because like you can build a nice business by serving your customers really well with products of excellence. And I guess that was to tie a bow on the Prevenex thing, like that was our vision at least we thought that would be the winning strategy. But the regulation, it's just light, we could be in business tomorrow, selling sand capsules. And that's just crazy to me. It's like crazy that that we can do that.
1: I think I know one of the brands that you're referencing, which it's like on en- every end cap in Target, it rhymes with Molly.
0: <laughs> there you go. So to Ollie's defense, and I'll call them out, That's not the brand that I don't think got into business with like a, we're going to deceive people and get a fine. So luckily that's not them. I would just say with Ollie, like they did a great job building a business, but they were very upfront with, we are marketers. That is our expertise. We have found the vitamin space because we think this is an area where we can use our marketing skills to make money and build a big enterprise. And they were recently acquired... I forget who acquired them. It might've been Procter & Gamble or one of the big companies. But that was kind of the stated strategy. And I kind of like, I mean, I'm not okay from a creating health perspective with that strategy because I think there's always the question of like, is this a marketing company that happens to sell nutritional supplements? Or is this a nutritional science company that is creating health for its consumers? And listen, they were just pretty upfront with it. Like we're marketers and we just think, The supplement industry has got great margins and we can use our skills to build a business. And at least they were upfront about it. There's others that make up stories that, you know, gosh, I want to tell the story kind of, but I also don't want to get, I don't want to pick too many fights, but you may have heard a story of a brand. I'll just leave it at this. And we'll leave this as like in the might be true, might not be true. Wink, wink. You may have heard the story of a brand where there was an elementary school teacher that was her students were always getting sick and she was getting sick. And then she experimented with this like mineral kind of vitamin concoction that kept her and her students from getting sick. Pretty cool story, right? This brand went on to sell hundreds of millions of dollars of product. And that story was like three or four guys in a boardroom making that story up to say like, Oh, that's a cool story. Like that should sell. And you know, like the product is beneficial, but I'd say marginally beneficial. And you won't find that marketing anymore because the FTC did just as I kind of talked about before, like they figured it out. These guys got body slammed to the tune of, I don't know if it was like $10 or $20 million fine, but it kind of didn't matter because they had made so much money in the many years leading up to that, that it, they paid the fine. They're still on the market, but they can no longer, of course, use the false Advertising that built their brand. But it's that kind of stuff, right? It's like, that's not truthful. I think truth is like telling the (laughs) truth is really important and being authentic is really important. And it's just, you know, that's one of so many examples, but that's, you know, and that's not even on the safety side. Like, you know, gosh, supplements don't get a ton of press, but, you know, New York State Attorney General had to, Enjoin like Walgreens and Target and other companies from selling their supplements because they found all these contaminants and unse- like antibiotic ingredients in them. And you're just like, how does this even happen? You know, it's
1: right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I want to get to how we can arm people with information so they can make wise choices. Like if there is a way to look at ingredients or go to a website and do your due diligence to see as long as they're not lying, like if this is a good product, but like, I mean, not only are you wasting your money on something that's not going to be helping you, but you could be wasting your money on something that is potentially going to harm you because it has these contaminants in it or extra ingredients or too much of something. Right. I mean, I know that you've, looked, you've done like surveys of supplements to see what's truly in it. And it is way off base of what they're marketing it as, correct?
0: Yeah, totally, totally. And, And I think one of the benefits we have of this much more rigorous manufacturing practice that we do is every product has a certificate of analysis that breaks down All the microbial testing, it breaks down all the finished product testing. And and as a consumer and as an analyst, I would request that of many companies. And like even the ones that could, so first of all, 95% of companies wouldn't produce that. They just wouldn't either. They'd say, oh, it's a privacy issue or we don't have it, which is scary. But of the ones that would produce it, you would see, I don't know, let's say like Omega 3 fish oil, let's just use it as an example. Let's say something like our Omega happens to have 600 EPA, 500 DHA. You would see a product that would test at like 300 versus 600 or like 950 versus 600 and just no quality control around that, which is like very scary, right? But as a consumer, you still can't, unless you request like a certificate of analysis, you're not going to get there. But I'm happy to share some practical tips. I mean, it's still a little, it gets a little technical still because you kind of have to look for ingredient forms and quality, but I can give you a few that can stand out as you're looking through, if that's helpful.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause it's like, I did an article and a post on collagen and I had a lot of people reach out to me after that who represented different collagen brands who were like, well, I, you know, let me, I want you to try this, try that, tell your followers about this, brand. And honestly, like, even though I did my research, I found it all very confusing. And looking at the websites, it was very hard to figure out whether or not this was worth my time, because they use their own language. That's makes it seem like this product is great and works really well. And they've done all their homework. And it's backed by research, but it's really hard to tell if the information they're sharing is a true and b even legitimate as far as like, okay, this does metabolize the right way in the body or whatever for it to be efficient or effective, I should say. So yeah, tips to kind of help people know what to look for and what to pay attention to when they're either in the store or on a website.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. So I think a few things, right? So like I can look at a nutritional supplement label and pick it apart in two seconds because I've just, I've been in the industry for, it's like 20 years now or something crazy. And so I think there's a few ingredients that can tip, but I'll give you a few tips before that even. So number one is my wife bought like vital proteins, like you bring up collagen. She brought a vital proteins collagen, I think from Costco a couple of weeks ago. And I remember looking at it and I just was curious because we're currently working on a like a muscle muscle loss prevention product that's collagen is going to be one of the ingredients, and so we're investigating collagen. So we're it's just it's top of mind right now. And I looked at the Vital Proteins canister, and the expiration date was like six years out. And I was like, what in the heck? That's crazy! Like, how are they doing this? This doesn't because I know all about this, right? And so what happens is a product is going to degrade over time. It's just Ingredients lose their potency, and this is just part of it. And so, most supplements have a two-year shelf life; some a three-year shelf life. But like collagen, we know over time it degrades. So, day one you're getting 100%. Year two, maybe it's 99%. Year I'm kind of making this up. That's not the right scale. But over time, it just loses its efficacy. And so, to have a five or six-year expiration date is almost like, hey, we decided because of supply chain issues to bulk up our product because we may not be able to source it, which would cause us great harm as a business. So let's make the business decision to do like five times the volume we normally produce, but we're not sure if we're going to sell through. So we better put a really long expiration date on it because consumers aren't going to pick that up. Like this is the stuff that drives me crazy. It just drives me crazy. So expiration dating, easy. If it's like beyond two or three years out, I would... Pass on it because it's not going to be as effective a product unless maybe like it's a 30 day supply and you're going to consume it within 30 days. And then you know you're probably getting a good amount. Another trick though, I mean, my nerdiness is going to show, but if I'm going to, pr- well, I would never do this, but if I'm Vital Proteins and I'm producing a product that has five or six year expiration dating, maybe I'm saying, okay, let's say we have 15 grams of collagen per serving. Let me put like 35 grams of collagen per serving. And to make sure that by year six, it'll have 15 grams given how it's going to degrade. And that's even crazy too, because certain things you really don't want too much of. And it's again, it just goes back to the Wild West. All right, long-winded on that. The second thing you can look at is clinically studied ingredients. So if you just pull a supplement bottle and look at the supplement facts, or even just do it online... There are many ingredients that have gone through human clinical studies. And so the way you can detect that is you they have a little, you know, registered trademark symbol. It's like the little R with a circle around it, or just that trademark symbol, the TM. And so there's typically going to be pretty good data around those ingredients where you can get the headline of the clinical studies. And so I can just give you a quick example. Like our joint health supplements, two ingredients. It's NEM, which is natural membrane boswellin you would see a little registered R trademark next to each of them. And if you were to look up both of those ingredients up independently, you would find a lot of clinical data. Not that you actually want to do that, but you could be pretty confident that if it's got a registered trademark or a trademark, it has gone through some scrutiny. It's been published research. And so that's a tip off that a company is kind of going a little bit above and beyond because those are expensive ingredients. And then I would just say ingredients in general I mean, what I look for when people send me, which still happens almost every day, people are sending me like, hey, what do you think of this product? What do you think of this product? I'm looking at a few key things. So vitamin C is a good tell for me. Ascorbic acid is the least, is like the lower quality, kind of least expensive form of vitamin C. It's also not as bioavailable. It could be harsher on your stomach. So mineral ascorbates have always been my preferred form of vitamin C see five to six times more expensive per kilo that's per like raw at the raw material level it actually might even be more now but it's less harsh on the stomach the, the data shows your cells readily intake mineral ascorbates and get more out of it than just ascorbic acid I'll look at vitamin a you know we prefer vitamin a through via beta carotene because it almost acts as like a water soluble vitamin A. Vitamin A is one of the few that you can actually get too much of and the toxicity is really bad. So like retinal acetate or retinal palmitate would be like a, one of those, you know, like a, a pro formed version that you just, it can build up and cause toxicity. So I like to look at beta carotene. I'll give you two more, just as an example, would be like folate. So a percentage of the population of the world does not have an enzyme necessary to convert folate to where your body can actually use it. And so folic acid, you know, there's a percentage of the population that it's like worthless. And so there is a methylated version called 5-MTHF that is more expensive, of course, but it's the only metabolically active form that that anyone can, you know, you get the benefit whether you're missing the enzyme or not. And then I, like vitamin B6, vitamin B12, quick ones would be, you know, like peroxidol 5-phosphate, which we call P5P for vitamin B6, higher quality form. Like vitamin B12, there's cyanocobalamin, which is synthetic B12, which is the lower quality form versus methylcobalamin. The methylated is the natural better quality form. So again, this is like, what's hard is, and why the industry can get away with this is it it gets very, it's like hard. Even I'm talking this, I'm sure some people are like, oh my gosh, like, how would I look into this? Or this is a lot or, but if you focus on one of those ingredients in like a multivitamin, for example, and you see that the company is using the synthetic version like cyanocobalamin for B12 instead of methylcobalamin, you could be like, all right, they're probably using other lower quality, less expensive forms of these nutrients. And that's kind of how you would, that's how I do it is I'll eyeball it. I also look at like for protein powders or meal replacement powders, I mean, the other ingredients is such a good place to look because that's where a lot gets hidden. So I don't want to see any gums because you can do it without gums. I don't want to see any sugar alcohols because those spike like a glycemic response and insulin production, which you do not want over time. I don't want to see artificial anything. I don't want to see artificial sweeteners. I don't want to see, you know, there's, it's just a telltale sign when a company is kind of like, They're not doing it well. And so gums, sugar, alcohols, preservatives, artificial anything would be kind of things I'd say I would avoid those products.
1: So Prevenix, like you said, you're not going to be all things to all people. So you have your supplements right now that you're focusing on. Are there other brands who offer what you don't offer that like, can you find anything of quality at a Walgreens or a CVS? Oh,
0: okay. You know? So the if you didn't say Walgreens or CVS, I would say yes, you can find other high quality products. And I take certain things that we don't make and right. That we won't we will never make because it would just be like a Me Too product. We don't it doesn't really add value in our mind to the market.
1: Like you guys don't have an iron supplement. That's the one Prevenix thing that I'm taking or that I'm not what am I saying? That's the one yeah, supplement that not that's taking. not Prevenix that I am taking because I've always been low on iron.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna unpack this question in two parts. So one is in the vitamin supplement space, the distribution channel actually is pretty telling too of the quality. So, and these numbers may not be true anymore. When I was an analyst, they were true, but I'm sure they've shifted quite a bit with e-commerce. And but a good chunk of sales, let's call it 35% of sales, were what you call like mass market channels. So Costco, Walgreens, CBS, grocery store, and typically. Companies that are competing in that channel are competing on price point, not on quality. So, you're not really going to find, if your goal, right, is like to maximize longevity, performance, and everyday health, you're not going to find a product that's going to really meet your needs in that channel. So, 35% of sales, and this is stale data, but bear with me on it. 35% used to be natural health food channel. And so that would be like Whole Foods or your mom and pop vitamin shops. And in those, you can, you've got to be really savvy because there's a gazillion products. Unfortunately, like if you go into Whole Foods, there's going to be 50 to hundred brands. It's very difficult, but it's a higher quality product than your mass market channel. And then you've got, of course, e-commerce, you have practitioner channel. And so for me, like That's kind of where I look is some of the practitioner channel, like practitioner, meaning serving healthcare professionals, doctors, et cetera. So like, I'd say life extension is, does a good job. Douglas laboratories does a good job. You know, there's maybe one or two more, but that those are kind of, if we don't make it, I'm going to look at life extension for very specific things. There's some things I wouldn't. And then Douglas labs does a good job, but that's a very premium, premium, like ultra premium price point. So that would be my answer.
1: I mean, because I guess if I buy something from Whole Foods or Earth Fair or through my practitioner and being a lazy consumer and I'm assuming that they've done the work and they're offering these products because they've vetted them already. But I guess that's wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a set of companies that's really producing a product. So I'd say Natural Health Food Channel is going to be a slightly more premium on the ingredients and slightly more premium on the price point but not much. And in fact, when I was an analyst, like your what you just articulated was something I assumed. And I was pretty shocked when I really dove in and looked at like even the organic brands and really premium stuff that were just lacking in so by the way, so on one hand you have like the nutrient form really matters, but on the other how much of that nutrient is in the product because clinical studies show you get Different outcomes at different levels of certain of these things, and so to me it was like I was pretty surprised that both the quality and the levels, which were way lower than what the studies that I had been reading showed, you actually get clinical benefits. Like in the Whole Foods channel in general, I was just like, "Wow, this is and not for all things too either." Right? Like vitamin D, you know, is pretty well defined. What you're like you're going to a one thousand or two thousand IU product, and but for most of it, I was just shocked by pretty low quality not really the levels you need. And it's like, oh my gosh, predatory, predatory. This is terrible.
1: So even like for the more simple, hey, I just need some vitamin A or vitamin D. I'm going to go get my nature made from CVS. Like even the simple supplements that don't have a lot to them, still no go.
0: Like it's still- Well, so no, you know what? That's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So there are a few letter vitamins or minerals that you're just- you can kind of get anywhere actually. And vitamin D is one of them. Like whole calciferol is the most common form of vitamin D. And there's no real innovation that you're on top of that. So you could go to CVS and grab it. I'd say calcium's another one. It's just you're kind of calcium is calcium. What I would say though, is the risk of having like an adulterated product from CVS, that channel, like a product that's going to have contaminants or something more of or less than, it's still a risk, but you should, you know, you're at least going to get the ingredient quality. Like the form of the ingredient is going to be the same for vitamin D pretty much CBS Or if you go to the like super premium, of course you want to make sure you're getting the right levels. And my bias is again, like I just have health is such a a huge core value in my life that I just want to make sure that I know what's going in my body. So I'm willing to pay a premium on vitamin D to make sure I'm taking it from now. It happens, you know, we have that in our multi and I I take a little extra still, but like I will pay a premium to get make sure the manufacturing protocols at least I know are they're testing for the things that we're testing for. They're one of a handful of companies in the industry that do that because I just don't want to have stuff that I like, I don't know what it what it is or what might be in there going in my body.
1: And so if somebody's looking around for a supplement online that Prevnex doesn't offer, for example, when they're looking, they should look for a company that says that they regulate their manufacturing, they use the same manufacturer as a pharmaceutical or as a pharmaceutical company. Is that something that they should be looking for? You said, I think you said there's just a handful that do that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there are companies that will promote that they're following pharmaceutical grade manufacturing principles. Again, it's not going to be a lot of companies. But I mean, it's just hard, right? Because marketing drives it. I'd look for how long has the company been around? What's the approach the company is taking to market? Like, are they working through healthcare professionals? Which by the mean, by the way, doesn't mean it's going to be a high quality product. But like if you can kind of marry the ingredient quality like forms to the manufacturing protocols to some of the trademarked ingredients, and you can just get a decent feel for like, okay, this company has invested in some quality assurance protection and program to help, you know, the end consumer's health versus, you know, it's just straight up marketing. There's no talk about manufacturing. There's no any, and this is where it gets confusing. Whitney is like, I mean, there've been some new entrants over the last few years. Their marketing is incredible. And you would think on the surface, it's like, wow, they're sourcing and they're showing the transparency of where the source is. And But like the levels are so low, it's not going to do anything. So yes, they're sourcing well, they're manufacturing well, but like these, it's still leveraged in the wrong way. But like, again, life-
1: Oh, so if you're doing that, then you'd- Hopefully this company would have links to the research studies that show, hey, we've done our homework and this is the optimal amount for most people.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Which very few do, but yes, you could find that. But like, again, like Douglas Labs and Life Extension- are two good companies I could point your your audience to that are, are not prevenex that I you're gonna get a well manufactured higher quality product than most any other product on the market.
1: What about buying it through Amazon, like a third party seller?
0: Oh the Amazon question. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. Oh gosh. It's so we do sell through Amazon. I think we just made the decision. Like there's so many eyeballs on Amazon. Let's at least just put our products on there and see what happens. And so, since becoming a seller, what's been interesting is we started getting complaints the first summer we were on Amazon about like our Omegas would arrive melted, and which was really weird because you're like, what? That's strange. Because our fulfillment center is temperature controlled. That's another thing, right? Temperature really matters because high temperatures can degrade products or melt products. So, we started getting an email from Amazon every year about around kind of, I don't know, late. Spring, like reminder if your products are sensitive up until 140 degrees, they need to be removed from the warehouse for the summer season. And to me, that was like, wait a second, 140 degrees like that's, I mean, yeah, no wonder the omegas were melting. And so, we don't warehouse at all, we're just merchant fulfilled. Like, our Amazon orders shipped from our warehouse because of this issue. So, even like this gets nuanced again, like life extension. I happen to like a couple of their products, but during the summer, I will not buy that product fulfilled by Amazon, which is like the, your Amazon prime. It'll arrive next day. So it has to be in Amazon's warehouse because like this stuff cannot be, ex- I mean, if it's exposed to 140 degrees, which of course is kind of the, the outlier, maybe it's a hundred, maybe it's 120, but all supplements should be stored at room temperature in kind of dry, cool places. And so I just don't trust at those temperature levels and potential humidity levels that this is going to be a product that's going to have kind of the efficacy that it's supposed to have because of this issue. So that's a trick with Amazon. Of course, there's a gazillion marketing tricks, but that's, you know, that's a tough one to navigate. But just the storage of the supplements in the summer season, like I wouldn't buy a product off of Amazon, a supplement product Certainly, I wouldn't buy chocolate, which they prohibit in their facilities in the summer. But anything that's going to, you know, even if it's a liquid product or whatever it is, like I wouldn't buy a consumable that I'm putting in my body during the summer months because of these issues.
1: Interesting. I would have never thought about that. I mean, I know when I've bought supplements in the summer, they arrive packaged with like cooling packs or ice packs.
0: Yeah. And one thing with, I mean, so there are merchant fulfilled, which are people that are keeping it in their warehouses where they can control these kind of things like humidity, temperature, like this this is what we do at PrevineX. But the fulfilled by Amazon, the prime, if it's going to arrive next day, it's going to be in an Amazon warehouse. And the other tell on that is it'll have like a little sticker that will almost like a barcode, unique Amazon identifier sticker on the product or package, which I'm sure you've seen. I mean, I think everyone kind of shops at Amazon. So that is also another tell that this is being stored in an Amazon warehouse versus it's just, it's not. So that's another way to tell like fulfilled by Amazon, fulfilled by merchant.
1: Okay. That's great. Great to know. Last question for you. What are your thoughts on the, all these gummy vitamins? I feel like you're probably not a fan.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, oh man. Yeah. My thoughts are not good. So, (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, So for us, so I come at it with a really regimented, structured approach. And like I have biases in in place because of this approach. And so to my core, I'm like science first, data first in the way I look at the world, especially of supplements. And so I think with gummies, what's tricky is like if you were to put in the levels that the – let's just take like a multivitamin is probably the easiest example – If you were to build a gummy multi, which of course there are children's gummies, right? So this can apply, what I'm about to say can apply to that. But if you were building one around the premise that like, I want to put in the highest quality ingredients and use the levels where the clinical studies show you get actual clinical outcomes and like health benefits. The problem with that is it would taste so bad if you put it in gummy form with all the minerals and things that just do not taste good that you would either have to like add so much sugar or so many artificial things to like mask the the taste or you just, what most people do is they just, they can't use those levels because you really can't get there from a taste perspective. So you just have like this really inadequate kind of vitamin that's got the low level, lower, well, just really low levels. So you're not, you're getting something, which is better than nothing, but you're not really getting much. And yeah, so if you take the children's space, which is like, If what I said before about the supplement industry being predatory, I was kind of talking about the overall industry, but like the children's space is probably the worst of it because it's like candy marketed as vitamins in most cases. You're going to have two things, levels that are too low, but like all this sugar, which for kids, I mean, I had a donuts with dad day at my, at my daughter's school last Friday and she eats really well. As you can imagine, like we're, we're big into health and wellness and she takes our super bites every day. And she had that donut. And I mean, the sugar in this glazed donut, like she was going within 10 minutes or 15 minutes. It was like a, a different, I had a different daughter, not a bad way. I mean, it's, it's fine. She can have treats and we're not that like that restrictive, but it was a reminder of like, what does sugar do? Like physiologically, I know what it does. And, but like to see it play out that fast in my daughter as we're sitting at a table and then she's just ready to like run and go off the rails kind of it's like reminds me oh my gosh there are children's multivitamins gummies that this is what they're doing cuz they have to load it up with so much sugar to make it taste good it's like it's just defeating the whole purpose of this which is creating health right that's the thing so i'm not a huge fan i mean some some pro, like elderberry can be delivered pretty effectively through gummies so it's not a all you know all gummies are bad but there's some ingredients you also have to put in there that can create some inflammation and just, you know, it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but the children's gummies drive me nuts because I think it's just, they're too much sugar or they don't have enough because it would taste so bad that they wouldn't be able to sell it. So that's my take on gummies.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, I'm like, Oh, well then you can just double the serving size, but then you're just doubling the sugar and you're <laughs> just, yeah, just erasing. Yeah.
0: Just or a product that's actually good and stick with that one. Whether, you know, there, and there's a, It's not like Prevanex is the only company that makes really, really, really good product.
1: You just froze, but I don't know if that was my computer or the actual software. But this has been incredibly enlightening. And I love that you gave us like some hard and fast rules of what to look for when we're looking for supplements. So thank you so much. I really think that people will feel more empowered after listening to you because there are some sneaky little signs that show that you may not be buying the best product available. So thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah. And thanks, Whitney, for having me. I love talking about this stuff. And I love that you're focused on it, that you want to help your audience with this. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Well, it is the Wild West. I mean, it's scary. So thank you for shedding light. And we will talk to you soon.
0: All right. Thanks, Whitney.
1: Thank you, David. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash the runner. We'll read these out in future episodes. Talk to you next time.